Welcome to The Deeper You Go, The Weirder It Gets. I'm your host, Ren. So this episode is about evolution, salt, rites of passage, and how all this relates to my journey into the world of plants. With just three months left on this 12-month journey, I have learned not only a lot about myself, I have also learned a lot about the process. And what I and from what I have discovered so far, the journey or the process seems to be more important than the end goal. So quick side note, I don't always give out all the details about what I'm doing for what should be obvious reasons. I speak a little cryptically, but I'm sure that those of you that are aware of my journey can figure out what it is that I'm talking about. With that being said, before we start, I want to thank everyone who is supporting the show. If you are listening, thank you for your support. More specifically, I want to thank all the people who have left positive reviews, bought gear, pine pollen, and fermented herbal tonics, and also to all the people who have sent me personal messages. Thank you. I have a new Instagram page. The link for that page is in the show notes. It's a Instagram page strictly for the podcast. So I encourage you all to go and uh, subscribe to that page. As always, I encourage you all to reach out with any questions you may have about my journey or anything I have discussed. And if you would like to support the show, one of the easiest ways is to get you some podcast gear. I have stickers, hats, mugs, t-shirts, and hoodies. The link for the gear is in the show notes. I also have fermented herbal tonics and pine pollen tinctures available. So please email me for more details. And the pine pollen tinctures have been flying off the shelves and for good reason. And this is because testosterone in both men and women is at an all-time low thanks to pesticides, microplastics, tap water, a sedentary lifestyle, and even wacky modern ideology. And as a result, uh, most people are overweight, unfocused, depressed, and have minimal muscle mass and almost zero sex drive. Not to mention... The low testosterone is a major factor in why the masculine and feminine energies in our society are so out of whack and lacking harmony. So if you want to save yourself, save your relationship, and possibly even save the world, get you some pine pollen. My pine pollen is made with the best ingredients possible, raw, uncracked pine pollen harvested in the pristine Canadian wilderness, and organic cane alcohol. It doesn't get any cleaner than that. Lastly, at the very least, if you enjoy this podcast, please like, subscribe, share, and leave a review, specifically if you're listening to this on the Apple Podcast app. It's a simple gesture that really helps me out. All right, so let's get into the episode. So the theory of evolution is very fascinating, right? See, according to this theory, over the course of billions of years, Thanks to changing environmental stimuli and random mutations, single-celled organisms manage to morph into all the plants, animals, and insects we see today. That's right. Just like the universe sprang from a single source, all life on our planet, at least according to this theory, sprang from a single-celled organism. As above, so below. And if that's not crazy enough... At some point during this evolutionary process, like a few million years ago, a particular group of tree-dwelling primates seemed to hit the random mutation lottery. 
This group of primates, based on sheer luck, managed to take a huge leap forward in evolution, quickly surpassing all other life forms. These primates, which were not all that different from the primates we see today, went from living in the trees to creating language, mathematics, controlling fire, building cities, inventing electricity, and even mapping the stars. It's an amazing story. But is it true? See, like all things, as you start to look deeper into them, the theory of evolution doesn't seem to add up. Or, at the very least, there seems to be a lot of holes in the story. And that's when you realize that it is just a theory. It is not the fact of evolution. It is the theory of evolution. Remember, words matter. A theory is not a fact. A theory is just the best guess. It is the best attempt to explain a phenomena based on the data available. And the reason evolution is just a theory is because there are too many mysteries to be explained. They have never found the missing link. In other words, scientists can explain how primates became humans. They can explain the doubling of the brain size. They don't understand how we became so advanced, and yet there is not a single other animal species on the planet that has made any similar leaps in evolution. Chimpanzees, lions, tigers, bears, crocodiles, birds don't seem to be evolving at all, at least not on the level of humans. For all intents and purposes, they are all the same as they've always been. It's crazy when you think about it, right? No other animal uses tools, controls fire, writes books, builds cities, flies, flies airplanes, or farms, just as humans. <clears throat> also not to mention, humans are kind of awkward, at least when it comes to nature, right? It's almost like we're some sort of hybrid. Every other species on the planet looks like they belong. They look comfortable and at home in the wild. A monkey knows how to be a monkey. A lion knows how to be a lion. A raccoon knows how to be a raccoon. But humans are stumbling, fumbling, awkward individuals. We walk upright on two legs. We don't have fur, claws, or fangs. We are not fast, agile, or very powerful compared to all the other animals. And when you break it all down, it's easy to see that not only do we look very different from all the other animals, but we are also not equipped to survive in nature without clothing, fire, weapons, shelter, etc. Even groups of people like hunter-gatherer tribes of the past and even the ones of today who are very knowledgeable about living off the land and are very connected to nature, their lifestyle is still very advanced compared to animals. These tribes of people still use weapons, have language, wear clothes, and are highly organized and build settlements, even if they are just temporary. In other words, humans are different from anything else on the planet. And why is that? Well, the answer is we have no idea. But one thing that seems more likely than not is that there's way more to the human story than just random mutations. See, I bring this up because lately I've been thinking a lot about salt and the critical role it plays in the functioning of our entire system. See, as I speak these words, I have just started month 10 of my 12-month Sama, and one of the restrictions I must follow is no salt for the entire year. So quick side note, I see that I have a lot of new listeners, which is awesome. 
So if you're not quite sure what journey I'm talking about, I suggest you go back and listen to episode 41 titled Going a Year Without Sex, a year-long Sama, to get some context on what I'm talking about. But anyway, out of all the restrictions that have been laid out in front of me for this journey, the no salt is the hardest one by far. And I knew it was going to be challenging, but I had no idea how hard it would actually be. And this is because salt plays a critical role in the functioning of our entire system. In fact, I am learning salt might be the most important nutrient on the planet for humans. It plays a major role in muscle function, joint function, brain function, nerve function, hydration, and even digestion. Yeah, even digestion. I mean, this is something that I recently discovered to my detriment. (laughs) Salt helps with the production of hydrochloric acid, which is a big component of our stomach, stomach acid. So without adequate salt, the acidic level of your stomach acid changes for the worse. And as a result, you have a hard time digesting food and absorbing vitamins and minerals. So Long story short, low levels of salt in your system is extremely bad for your health. And let me tell you, I feel every bit of this. At this point in the journey, I feel like absolute shit. My muscles ache and constantly spaz out. I have a constant low-grade headache. My joints feel like they are going to lock up at any moment. I constantly feel thirsty, and every time I eat, I feel like I'm going to throw up because my digestion is so messed up. Not to mention, I have extremely low energy brain fog, and almost zero motivation to do anything. This leads to two questions. How does salt relate to evolution and why is salt restricted for the Sama? Well, for the evolution part, it is interesting because humans are the only species that adds salt to their diets. In fact, we add quite a bit. The American Heart Association recommends consuming between 1,500 to 2,300 milligrams a day, which is about a teaspoon of salt. Now, that may not seem like a lot by looking at a teaspoon, but from my experience and research, it is nearly impossible to get that much salt naturally. In other words, natural whole foods do not con- they do contain salt, but not a lot. See, from my quick bro math, it seems that you would need to eat around five pounds of beef or chicken or 50 medium-sized carrots a day just to get 1,500 milligrams of salt, which is the minimum recommended by the American Heart Association. Now, that doesn't even account for the fact that, one, this is the minimum needed, and two, this is the American Heart Association we are talking about, (laughs) right? Hopefully, you should know this by now, but the health guidelines set forth by our government are not intended for optimal health. Now, obviously, I'm not giving you medical advice. You do you. But just know that the healthiest people on the planet do not follow these food recommendation guidelines. In fact, the healthiest people on the planet eat in such a eat in a way that completely goes against all the nutritional recommendations laid out by all the government health and medical associations. And well, salt is no different. Fitness professionals Athletes and people who have done more than five minutes of research know that we need way more salt than the American Heart Association recommendation, upwards of two to three times, maybe even four times the amount than the minimum requirement, especially if you're active and sweating a lot. This idea that diets high in salt are unhealthy is both laughable and sad, 
But unfortunately, most people still believe this nonsense. Think about it. Have you ever met a healthy person on a low-salt diet? Obviously, the dose makes the poison, but if you look at all, but if you look at the foods that have the highest salt content, they are highly processed foods, and 99 times out of 100, these foods are absolute garbage, which begs the question, is it the high salt content or the processed garbage that's bad for us? In other words, are people unhealthy because they eat too much salt, or is it because most, peop- most people live a sedentary lifestyle, eat garbage, drink too much alcohol, avoid the sun, drink chemical-laden tap water, are overly medicated, and live lives that are completely out of harmony with the natural world? The answer should be obvious at this point, especially to anyone who's a regular listener to this podcast. Consuming too much salt should be the least of anybody's worries. So... All this relates to evolution because it seems that adding salt to our diet is necessary for optimal health. Since this is the case, how did our ancient, ancient, ancient ancestors get enough salt? See, according to mainstream history, we've only been mining salt for about 10,000 years or so, which may seem like a long time, but humans, homo sapiens, have been around for at least 400,000 years, which means if history is correct... Added salt has only been a part of the human diet for 2.5% of our entire existence. So the question then becomes, how did humans get enough salt for the first 390,000 years of existence before the time of salt mines? Well, see, here's what you need to know about ancestral health. The humans from 400,000 years ago are bio-identical to us in every way. What is good for them is good for us. What is bad for them is bad for us. This is why today we are currently experiencing an epidemic of what is called mismatched diseases, which I talked about on the very first episode, episode one. We are experiencing these mismatched diseases because our environment today with our sedentary lifestyle, processed food, hours of screen time, pharmaceutical drugs, microplastics, pesticides, and other environmental toxins is so different compared to the environment of our great ancestors. Okay, so how does this relate to salt? Well, I believe that there's way more to our history, the history of how we became humans, than we have either been told or that we know about. And I think our relationship with salt is a key component in this mystery. There is obviously more to this mystery than just salt, but I believe salt plays a critical role in what makes us human. Something about our evolution or manipulation requires us to consume high levels of salt, more salt than any other animal on the planet. And if you look at our more recent ancient history, we know salt played a huge role In ancient Roman times, salt was a huge commodity. In fact, during this time, salt was so important that wars were fought over salt, and people were even paid in salt. No other animals are obsessed with salt as much as humans. Salt was so prevalent in the old world that it has become part of our everyday language. For example, the word salary is derived from the Latin word sal, which means salt. The word salad is a Latin word for, the word salad is Latin for salted greens because the Romans used to dip their vegetables and lettuce in salt. There's even the old saying, worth your salt. So if salt is so important now, 
and it, and it was important several thousand years ago, it had to be important all the way back to the beginning. So salt, the doubling of the brain size, language, mathematics, the pyramids, the temples, the churches are all part of the mystery that is the missing link in our evolution. So if salt is so important to our health, livelihood, and history, why is it forbidden during the Sama process? Well, I've asked that question many times to many different people, and the answers I would get were usually something to the effect of that salt is very grounding, and in the Sama process, you are trying to ascend to the spiritual realm. Or another common answer would be that plants just don't like salt. For example, if you watered a plant with salt water, it would die. Now, these answers never sat right with me. They seem to be like pretty weak justification for the removal of such a critical nutrient. So I began to wonder if the salt restriction was unnecessary, something pointless that somehow became part of the modern Sama tradition. Either that or maybe that there was some bigger reason that no one has really been able to articulate. Well, Within the last month and a half, three things have happened that have led me to an answer, or at least an answer that seems more reasonable. The first one being was that Ayauma spoke to me during a meditation. The second one was that I gained an insight while studying Shapibo. And then the third one was when I came across a podcast about initiations and or rites of passage that really opened my eyes to these ancient traditions. So a little over a month and a half ago, I felt a huge shift in my energy levels. I could literally feel my muscles breaking down and my strength fading like I was Superman being poisoned by kryptonite. See, one night during a meditation, I kept feeling worse and worse, and my body and even my mind felt like it was dissolving away. In a sense, I felt like I was dying. Now, this is a bit dramatic sounding, but it's true. I felt like I was going through a death process, not only physically, but my ego, my sense of self felt like it was dying as well. And as I laid on the ground, I felt everything being stripped away. And that's when Ayauma spoke to me and told me that the only way for me to do this process properly is to let go of my old identity. Nothing from my old life can remain. Then Ayauma said it was going to strip me to my core. And see, what's interesting about all that is that in order for me to even begin this year-long journey in the first place, I had to lose a lot. I lost my business, my wife, my life savings, my house, my dogs. Now, the only thing that remained was my strength and sense of self. And that night, Ayauma started taking those things away, the last things I had from my previous life. That's when I got the insight about salt. The restriction of salt is for this exact purpose. It is because salt is so necessary for a functioning body that in order to help facilitate this death process, the single most important nutrient must be removed. In other words, the removal of salt is to ensure you that you will not only suffer, but that you will also become extremely weak and fragile. And after that night of, after that night of meditation was over, I felt different. I still feel different, and I'm not sure what to think about it. Part of me is excited that this process is working, but part of me is nervous. Part of me is nervous as to what I will become of me, right? I, I mean, I feel calmer and more relaxed, and my energy even feels softer. But at the same time, I feel like I've lost my edge and my intensity. 
And maybe that's a good thing, but it feels weird and I feel way less capable physically. Then this point was reiterated a few days later when I was studying Shipibo. I came across the word Oni Sapati, which means to suffer the sadness of hunger. See, I was learning about the Sama process and and an old healer was talking about this word, Anisapati. In fact, this word was from her song. See, I've mentioned this before, but you know, the, the Shipibo style Baywas are kind of like freestyle hip hop. They are poetic expressions of one's personality and medicine. And while in this song, the Curandera, Manuela Mauha was talking about her background, just like they do in hip-hop, right? More specifically, she was talking about how she received her medicine. The very loose translation of her song basically said, this, the big Sama energy was obtained years ago. No one offered it to me. I experienced pity, altruistic love, and empathy only after having suffered the sadness of hunger. Only then was it obtained many years ago for my benefit. So what she was basically saying is that she had to go through an extensive period of suffering in order to receive her gifts. And the idea is that the suffering caused by hunger is considered to be true suffering. And well, that is a big aspect of the removal of salt. It is to make you suffer, but it is more than your body and mind breaking down. Removing salt also makes you feel extreme hunger all the time. See, without enough salt, it is almost impossible to feel full, no matter how much you eat. All your body knows is that it's missing a key nutrient, so it continues to trigger your hunger response with the hopes of eventually receiving the much-needed salt. And the only way to silence that craving is to give your body salt. So without salt, the hunger pangs remain. So in other words, the elimination of salt is to make you suffer. It's to make you earn your medicine. It's to make you respect the process. Like Manuela said, nobody will offer it to you. It can only be earned through suffering. Which leads me into the practice of initiation or rites of passage. See, one thing we have lost in our modern society is rites of passage or a coming-of-age ceremony. In older traditional societies, all members of the tribe at one point or another would have to go through an initiation as a way of acknowledging that they are making the transition from child to adult. These rites of passage were usually hard and they usually required some sort of challenge and suffering that must be overcome. And it's not just for coming of age. If you wanted to be a warrior, a medicine man, or a leader, You also had to go through an initiation to make sure you were ready, worthy, and could be trusted. So it was was then I came across a fascinating podcast episode about this very thing. The podcast is called The Emerald, and the episode is titled, So You Want to Be a Sorcerer in the Age of Mythic Powers. And I highly recommend you listen to this because it's very fascinating. I'll put a link to it, to that episode in the show notes. Now... This episode blends old mythic stories with new age ideas. And in this episode, they talk about AI or artificial intelligence and how it has the potential to change the world. And the podcast host makes the claim that in many ways, AI is no different from the magic of old. The difference being 
that old magicians or sorcerers had to go through a period of initiation. They had to go through an apprenticeship. They had to go through trials and tribulations where they had where they would be forced to suffer and restrict themselves because that was the only way to ensure that one could be entrusted with the secrets of the universe. However, when it comes to AI, the author of the podcast argues that these computer programmers are not going through any rites of passage. Instead, they are essentially being handed the keys to life-altering power without the background and self-understanding one should go through to be entrusted with this kind of power. And while the author argues that this is not good and has the chance to backfire in a big way, and I actually agree with this 100%, and to drive this point home in the podcast, he uses the story of the sorcerer's apprentice as an analogy. So I'm going to tell that same story because having been 10 months into a 12-month journey, that story, when I heard it, really hits home because plant medicines are extremely powerful tools. And like I've said many times, we have barely scratched the surface. See, today, the use of plant medicines is becoming more popular than ever, which is a good thing in general. But at the same time, we are also seeing a rise in the number of people using these plant medicines without proper training, which has the potential to backfire in a big way. I know several people who go from having done mushrooms just a handful of times to suddenly leading quote-unquote healing ceremonies in their living room. Same goes for ayahuasca and many of the other plant medicines. People are using and administering them to people without having gone through a rite of passage, without being an apprentice, and, well, that's not a good thing. People are being opened up and thrust thrusted into the spirit world without proper knowledge or understanding of how to navigate that world or deal with dark or dangerous energies. And as a result, more times than not, they end up worse than when they went in. I see about it, I, I see it, and I hear about it all the time. See, the deeper I go into this world, the more I realize that if you want to serve medicine, if you want to help people, if you think of yourself as a healer, not only is proper training key, but so is the process, so is the prog- process of initiation. You must go through a death and rebirth process. You must be stripped to your core. You must go through a period of intense restriction because only then can you truly be trusted to lead people into the spirit realm. If you have not done this, then you are not only a danger to yourself, but you are a danger to others. So I encourage all who are listening to be careful with these plants. Don't sit with just anyone. And if you are serving and hosting people and haven't gone through a proper initiation, you need to stop. You are messing with a power you don't understand. Which leads me right into the Sorcerer's Apprentice. So the Sorcerer's Apprentice is a poem by Johann Wolfgang von Goth. I think that's how you say it. Written in 1797. So the poem begins as an old sorcerer departs his workshop, leaving his apprentice with chores to perform. Tired of fetching water by pail, the apprentice enchants a broom to do the work for him, using magic in which he is full when in which he is not fully trained. 
The floor is soon awash with water, and the apprentice realizes that he cannot stop the broom because he does not know the magic required to do so. So in a desperate attempt to make the broom stop, the apprentice takes out an axe and chops the broom in half. But suddenly, each piece becomes a whole new broom that takes up a pail and continues fetching water, now at twice the speed. At this, increase, at, at this increased pace, the entire room quickly begins to flood. When all seems lost, the old sorcerer returns and quickly breaks the spell. The poem concludes with the old sorcerer's statement that only a master should invoke powerful spirits. With that being said, in just three weeks, I'll be heading back to the jungle for two months to finish my initiation. See you on the other side.